Let's open our Bibles, please, to Isaiah 52. We did not quite finish the 52nd chapter, but we've tried to get Isaiah 52 and 53. 53 only has uh, 12 verses. And we're down to Isaiah 52, verse 8. We just studied verse 7 in the 52nd chapter, where it said this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, that bringeth good tidings of good of good that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. And we uh, told you in our last lesson how that Paul quoted this in the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse 15, relating to those that preach the gospel, bringing good tidings or good news of salvation. It means, actually the word here, good tidings, means good news or evangel or the gospel. It means all three of these things. And so we know that they are beautiful upon the mountains, the feet of those that publish this good news. And it simply means they're seen and they're running to tell the good news about what God has done. And the preacher, the, the Christians, you and I that uh, propagate the gospel and that share the gospel with other people are to be messengers that are seen as running to, with this good news. And as we said last week, you can tell by the, the manner in which a person approaches whether he has good news or bad news. If he has good news, he's going to be very anxious to come and tell you the good news. But if it's bad news, they're a little reluctant to come bringing that news. Now then, verse 8 is where we pick up. Thy watchman shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Now then, the watchmen were set on the towers around the city walls. And here, basically, we're speaking of the wall of Jerusalem. And uh, they're, they're set on towers around the city to guard against any entrance of enemies and to notify of any danger approaching. And you know, spiritually, we are to watch and pray. We're to be like watchmen on a tower that are watching for any onslaught of the enemies or any progress or any movement of the enemy that would come in to destroy God's people. We're like a city of God. We're like uh, the Jerusalem of old. We're the church of the living God needs to be aware of the dangers that may be approaching. And we need to sound the alarm that there are dangers on the outside of the, the family of God and the church of God because all kinds of doctrinal dangers are out there all the cults that are round about us. And they seem so harmless sometimes. They just seem very harmless. Like, well, here comes the enemy approaching. But, you know, after all, we can't tell from this tower whether they're enemies or friends. Just let them pass on by. They'll probably be all right. You better be on guard because they may not be, they may be wolves in sheep's clothing, as the Bible speaks of. And they may be angels of light, transformed uh, into angels of light. As Paul warns, he says, Satan himself. And it's no great thing if his ministers be transformed into ministers of righteousness. Okay, now then, verse uh, 8, it says, For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. So God's people are looking for the time that they'll see face to face. When the Lord brings deliverance to Zion and when he brings deliverance to all of us in the future, or the let's say the future coming of Christ, 
Paul says that now we see darkly through a glass, but then shall we face, see face to face. Then shall we know as, uh, be known, know as we are known. And he talks about a future for God's people. In 1 Corinthians chapter, let's see, what? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Verse 9 in our text, Isaiah 52, verse 9. Break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. All the desolate places, the waste places. For the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. Now then, what he did for Jerusalem of old and for his people of Israel of old, bringing comfort and redemption, he also has brought (laughs) comfort and peace. He's brought redemption to you and I today through Christ. He literally brought salvation to them and uh, comfort to them from their captivity in Babylon. But he actually has spiritually brought comfort and peace to you and I through Christ. Uh, deliverance for us and redemption. Now then, verse 10, The Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. That means He's made bare His holy arm for battle. In the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So all nations shall acknowledge God's sovereignty. Notice, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. There will be a time that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at verse 11. We have been talking about this double word. Now it says, depart ye, depart ye. Remember, verse 1 said, awake, awake. Chapter 51, verse 7, awake, awake. 51, verse 9, awake, awake. We, we just taught that. And 51, verse 1 and 4 and 7 says, hearken to me, hearken to me, hearken to me. So if you go back to the beginning of the 51st chapter, here's what order you have. In verse 1, you have hearken to me. In verse 4, you have hearken unto me. In verse 7, you have hearken unto me. And in these three things, the Lord was telling the people to look back, and then He told them to look ahead, and then He told them to look within on those three statements. And then verse 9 and 17, he said, awake, awake. Actually, they're saying to God, awake, as if he were asleep. And then in verse 17, awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. God says to them, awake. And in verse 52, verse 1, awake, awake, put on strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments. So they were not only to awake in verse 1 of chapter 52, and to put on strength, but in doing so they were to put on their garments. Now then you get down to verse 11, yeah, 52, 11. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. He's speaking to the captives in Babylon. And isn't it amazing that he would have to say to those captives, depart ye, depart ye. The captives in Babylon found it hard to leave, even their captivity. And many of them did not. Remember when God came, God sent the angels into Sodom to deliver Lot and his wife and his daughters from the wickedness of those cities of the plains? And they had to drag them out. Why is it that God's people become so attached to the world that they won't even leave it? And here they were in captivity 
And God has to say, depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. You know, if God opened the way, He wouldn't have to say to me twice, leave. If the door was open and I was in captivity and in bondage, and that's the picture of both Lot and his family and also of the children of Israel in Babylonian captivity. It was out. It was their uh, situation in Egypt when God said, okay, I'm going to deliver you by the hand of Moses and God opened the sea. Now, at that time, they were ready to go, weren't they? And they were anxious. But then they got out there a little ways and they began to complain and said, we better go back because of the we had it better back in Egypt than here in the wilderness. And so sometimes even though we're in our wilderness journey, we still begin to complain. We say it's better like I was before I was saved. Don't ever try to convince yourself of that because it's not. <laughs> it's not for many reasons. And anyway, we won't go into that. But isn't it amazing that God has to call His people out, even the book of Revelation, out of Babylon in the future? In the 18th chapter of Revelation, and this is the Babylon of the future. And notice what God says here in verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Look, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached into heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. And God's going to reward her, uh, even, uh, reward her, even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, uh, hath filled, filled to her double. So God's going to reward, uh, reward or judge Babylon with a double judgment. And yet at that time in the book of Revelation, he's still going to have to say, come out of her, my people. Come out and be not partaker of her sins. By the way, I believe God is calling his people out of some corrupt religions today and saying, be not partaker of their sins. And to come out from her and be not partaker of her sins. And it's a sin to worship God any other way than in spirit and in truth and according to the truth of God's word. And boy, we have all kinds of worship in the world today. Not only those which we call Buddha worship and all kinds of false deities, but we have those within the Christian Christian realm that worship in false ways. And it's scattered all over. Jesus said, The hour is come and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit. Now look, not just in spirit. In spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Now, there's a lot of people claim to be worshiping God more spiritually, but maybe not as more, more truthful and more truth. So you've got to combine both of those, in spirit and in truth. And when you combine that, that's what's acceptable to God. We've got to be true in our heart to God, and we've got to worship Him from our heart in a spiritual manner. And Jesus is the one that said that in John chapter 4, if you'll... Uh, search it out. He spoke that to the Samaritan woman. She was convinced that she said, "Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You, you say in Jerusalem is the mountain is the place where men ought to worship." And Jesus said, "Well, the hour is coming now is when the true worshipper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him." All right, back to this now. Verse eleven: Depart ye, depart ye. Go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her. See, God had to insist. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. And I believe that God's uh, 
children that bear his holy vessels, and this not only relates to preachers, but especially so to preachers and teachers of God's word, but it also relates to every Christian that is to be a witness for him. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord, the holy things of God. For ye shall not go out without with haste. Ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by, fl- uh, by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your re-reward. He'll go before you and, and behind you. Now what does it say? You shall not go out with haste. They didn't have to hurry. They had God's assurance that they could calmly depart. He would bring about their deliverance before them, and He would go after them. He would follow them. It's quite different than when they went out of uh, Egypt. Because He says, make haste. He said, you'll go with haste, didn't He? You go back in the book of Exodus, and they were to eat that lamb in haste. Let's see, Exodus chapter 12. Um, Verse 11, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded. In other words, they were ready. They had their loins girded. And it says, Your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He was telling them that they better be ready to depart. Eat this in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And they had to have what? Their loins girded and their shoes on their feet and their staff in their hand. In other words, ready to go. And here in the book of Isaiah, concerning their deliverance from Babylon, they did not have to do that. So look at verse 12 again. Isaiah 52, verse 12. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your re-reward. That means He'll go before you and behind you. By the way, He did that for Israel when they were delivered from Egypt. He went before them and behind them. Look back again in Exodus, let's see, chapter 14. Well, we read two verses of Scripture. We read two in uh, the 13th chapter and a couple in the 14th chapter. You have Exodus 13, the last two verses. And the Lord went before them by day, look, in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and by night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So that, that means he went before them. That's Exodus 13, verse 21-22, the last two verses. Now then, just move your eyes over to the 14th chapter, verse 19 and 20. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, listen, removed and went behind them, same thing, isn't it? And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. So what happened? This pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night that was to lead the children of Israel by day and by night, and God took it not away throughout all their wilderness journey. But at the time that they needed a defense and protection, it, instead of going before them, it turned and went behind them and stood between them and the camp of the Egyptians to protect them. So God is not only the one that leads us, but He's the one that protects us. In other words, He's on both sides. He takes us he surrounds us. He takes care of us. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. And you know, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire is symbolical of the Holy Spirit 
for you and I today. The presence of God's Holy Spirit. Did you know that pillar of cloud and fire was not given to Israel until they had been delivered from Egypt? What's that picture? What is that picture? It pictures the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not given to us until we've been saved and delivered from bondage. And then once that cloud is given to uh, us, it's given as a gift. The cloud was God's gift to Israel, so the Holy Spirit is given to the believer today as an act of grace. We do not deserve it. It says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. This is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, or upon believing, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And it was given as a free gift, the Holy Spirit. You didn't earn it. By the way, you didn't earn or deserve salvation. It's all free. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you didn't deserve salvation. You didn't deserve the gift of the Holy Spirit. But God says, I'm going to give you both free of charge. Without money or without price. Isn't it great that God gives us everything we need and He doesn't have any strings attached? You know, when man gives something, a lot of times he'll say, I'll do this if you'll do that. Well, that's a trade, isn't it? But God doesn't say that. He said, I'm going to give you this. He said, I would like for you to do other things. He invites you to. He inspires you to. He gives you the uh, motivation to. But all of those things that He wants you to do is not the merit of the gift. It doesn't pay for the gift. And you see, when you try to add to it, you take from it. Someone says, I know I'm saved by grace, but I've got to help. Or I've got to pay. And it's not what you, uh, it's not what you sh- uh, should do. That you're considering, it's what you think you have to do in order to help pay it. If I give you a gift, and you say, well, Brother Joyce, I know that cost you $100, and I'm going to give you about half of it, or I'm going to try to pay a fourth of it anyway, well, then I don't feel like I've given you anything, do I? I feel like you're trying to buy or help pay for that gift. But if you, if I give it to you freely, there's no strings attached. That's the way God gives. God is not like that. God, when God gives you something, He gives it to you free of charge. No strings attached. He gave us salvation. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the cloud was given to guide Israel. And so the Holy Spirit is given to be our guide. It went before them, went behind them. And that cloud being a picture of the Holy Spirit is is our guide. Just The Holy Spirit is our guide. Just as the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was their guide. And the Bible says that those that are led by the Spirit of God, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So that's guidance, isn't it? And then another thing, the cloud was given them for a covering. It was to cover them from the heat of the sun and from and at night. You know, God said, the, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. I like that last statement, too. Someone says, well, I'm glad the sun doesn't smite me by day. Well, what about the moon by night? You know what happens when you, you're moon smitten? They say you become a lunatic, right? So, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. So, God says, I'm going to take care of you. I like God's care, don't you? There's not any better care that you can have than that of God. 
And then God spake from the cloud. The voice came from the cloud. In Psalm 99, verse 7. What did I get off on this for? And then this same cloud was darkness to the Egyptian and it was light to the children of Israel. This cloud rested on the tabernacle as soon as it was finished in Exodus chapter 40. This cloud was never taken from Israel throughout all their wanderings and God has promised He will not take the Holy Spirit away from us. And there's so much more I could say about it. But anyway, the Holy Spirit is typified by that presence of God that went before Israel and behind Israel. Now then, back in our text, Isaiah 52 and verse um, 12, it says, For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you. See, God's going to go before you. And the God of Israel will be your re-reward. So He's going to go before you and behind you. And he, and actually, that word means that He will gather you up. Gather you up from behind. That He will press all the troops together and bring them up. I used to go up to Sarah Blanca as a guide in the summertime. Uh, tour guide. And we'd take 20 or 30 people up, some 940, to the top of Sarah Blanca, straight up the upper canyon. Well, I was a front guide, but we had a, a guy that would bring up the rear so that they wouldn't straggle too far between. God says, I'm going to gather... If you look in your marginal reference, it says your re-reward. It says... The Hebrew says, gather you up. In other words, God will make sure that all are closed in so there will be a compact unit there gathered up together so that there will be no danger. There will be no danger. Now then, look at verse 13. Now, we come to kind of another subject here in verse 13. We're talking about God's servant and what he will suffer. And it's also not only the 13th verse of this 52nd chapter, but it carries on through with the all the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and I don't know how far we'll get in it, but we'll go as far as the Lord permits us to go. But it says in verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. That means uh, prosper. He'll deal successfully. He shall be exalted and, and extolled and be very high. Now, historically, there may, may have possibly been a person in view as far as Israel was concerned in the Old Testament. But prophetically... We know that the true Messiah is Christ, and it's most, most definitely referring to Christ that will be extolled and be very high, because all the 53rd chapter, we could give you seven references in the 53rd chapter where all of them show that it points to Christ in the New Testament. Seven New Testament references at least. But let's look at this. In verse 14, as many as were astonished at thee, as many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. We know that this could certainly be applied to Jesus in his sufferings, because he was beaten and he was whipped and he was marred more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Isaiah 53. The first three verses show us of Christ's rejection. By the way, we said just a moment ago that there are at least seven references in the New Testament in this 53rd chapter that apply to Jesus. If you wanted to write them down, I'll give them to you as quickly as I can. John 12, verse 38, and Matthew 8, verse 17, Acts 8, verse 32 through 35, 
Mark 15, verse 28, Luke 22, verse 37, and I'll give you those again in a moment. Romans 10, verse 16, and 1 Peter 2, 24, I'll go back over them. John 12, 38, Matthew 8, 17, Acts 8, 32 through 35, Mark 15, verse 28, Luke 22, verse 37, Romans 10, 16, and 1 Peter 2, 24. And if you missed them and need another one, just slip up your hand or anyone just copy them down, have them all. If you don't have them. 1 Peter 2, 24. I'll do it one more time. John 12, 38. You can check it. Matthew 8, 17. Acts 8, 32 through 35. Mark 15, 28. Luke 22, 37. Romans 10, 16. 1 Peter 2, 24. And there are seven references in the New Testament in this 53rd chapter, and there's really more. But there are seven definite references that show you that what is said here in Isaiah 53 refers to Jesus Christ. So that people say, well, you know, it may refer to that servant that God was speaking of uh, historically in, in the Old Testament. And many hold that view. In fact, the Jews definitely do. They don't believe this refers to Christ. They, they, those who will not accept Jesus as the Messiah definitely deny that these refer to Christ and His sufferings. And that's why when you take these passages of Scripture, if a, if a Jew, unconverted Jew, that has not believed in Christ's coming, really sees these Scriptures and sees the New Testament as it relates to Isaiah 53, this is the best passage of Scripture that I know of that you could convince them that Jesus is the promised Messiah because if they believe the New Testament as well, they would accept the references more so than anything else. But they would have to not be blinded. They would have to be open to the thought of receiving the passages of Scripture. So, let's look at verse 1. It says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord speaks of, of the power of God. But what about the report, or the doctrine, or the message, or the truth? If you have a marginal reference, it says doctrine on report. And the hearing has two things. Our report, or our doctrine, our hearing, the message of the gospel. Who hath believed our report? Now, Jesus Christ's claim to Messiahship was rejected as he hung on the cross. We know that. And we'd give you references for that. And his message, the message about Christ's death being an effective sacrifice for the sin of the people was rejected. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23 says this, But we preach Christ crucified, now listen, unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. So the message of Christ is rejected both as a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to, to Gentiles. But it says, furthermore, it says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It says in verse 18 and 21, it says in verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. There's a message in the cross that has God's power attached to it that brings about conversion. But to those... That perish, it is foolishness. Now, verse 21 says, For that after, uh, after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So God says, 
if a person will accept this message of the cross and believe on Christ, he can be saved and he will be saved. But you see, to the world, it's foolishness. God has a message sent down from heaven. He has, he has a, a messenger. He has a Savior sent down from heaven. He has a messenger sent down from heaven. He has a message sent down from heaven. And He has a salvation that has come down from heaven. Jesus said, I'm the true bread which came down from heaven. If a man eat of this bread, how are you going to eat of this bread? If it's Christ, by faith. That's the only way you're going to eat of this bread. He shall live forever. You turn to John chapter 6 quickly. Let me show you something. John 6. Some people say, well, you have to eat of Christ, but you do that in taking the elements of the, of the uh, Lord's Supper. Let me give you some passages of Scripture. In John 6, look at verse 33. For the bread of God is He, it's a person, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Look at verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So, it's by coming to Christ that you eat of that bread. Right? He that cometh to me, and he that believeth on me. It's by faith. By coming to Him in faith that you believe on Him, and you eat of that bread, and you shall never hunger, nor never thirst for salvation. By simply coming. There's nothing... There's nothing uh, in the way of ritual. There's nothing in the way of, of ordinance or anything that's coming to Christ in this fashion. It's just coming by faith. He that cometh to me. Jesus said, Him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. So it's coming and it's believing. And coming is believing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't come unless you did believe. And you, you're not only satisfied of your hunger, but of your thirst. Verse 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There's no reason that they would be cast out. In verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now verse 40, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Seeth the Son. Well, someone says, how can we see the sun? He was not here. But he's not here now. He was here once, but we can't see the sun. Well, look in verse uh, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So believing on him is seeing him with the eyes of faith, right? He that believes. If you have everlasting life as a result of seeing the sun, if you have... If you have everlasting life by believing on Him, then believing on Him is the equivalent to seeing Him. And it's seeing Him by faith. And we see Him as God's Word is presented. There's so many passages of Scripture. Let me give you verse um, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That means that that the person that truly believes on Christ must be spirit-drawn. The Heavenly Father must draw them. In a spiritual way. Someone said, I can go to the Lord any time I get ready. You can go to God when He calls you and when the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. He says, call upon me while I'm near. Seek Him while He may be found. And that's why that the Holy Spirit... Here's what I'm trying to say. Is that whenever the gospel message goes out, the Holy Spirit has to do His work for anyone to truly come to Christ. He has to do His work in that heart. 
And we're, we're told to give the invitation. We're told to, to speak the Word and give the Gospel message. But it's up to the individual when, they're, when the Holy Spirit moves upon their heart to respond. And it's not up to you and I to be manipulative or to persuade. We're not to go out there and say, well, now you need to be saved today and grab a fellow by the hand or shoulder and say, well, the guy knows he needs to be saved. But if he's not moved by the Holy Spirit, you and I and everyone in the church can desire him to be saved, but he won't be saved until he's moved by the Holy Spirit to be saved. There has to be a divine moving of the Holy Spirit. And boy, there's been many a man that's tried to do God's work and it, won't, it doesn't work that way. You know, that's, a, that's God's work. That's the Lord's work. We're to do the witnessing. We're to do all that He tells us to do. But it's God's work to do the converting. And we need to be mindful of that. Where was it? John, okay, John chapter 6. Let me give you a couple more places. Verse 50. It says, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. A man can eat of this bread and live forever. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Now look. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, he's going to give his flesh as a sacrifice. He's going to be put to death on the cross. But you still have to eat of this bread in a spiritual way. Verse 58. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna uh, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, this is the verse that tells us that uh, as well as the others... That eating of Christ, or feeding upon Christ, or believing upon Christ, brings eternal life and brings salvation to the believer. So there's a whole lot of passages there that we can study. But anyway, what we're back in Isaiah 53, verse 1. We will, we'll stop there because we won't have time, but let's look at it again as we cap it off. Who hath believed our report? Many have not believed this message. They have not believed in the person. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord speaks of His power. And the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God. Just, 